Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. Welcome to a special blood edition where I'll visit the Red Cross Blood Service to find out about blood products and blood transfusion. Vell's factor has been discovered. In the early 1950s, an elderly woman sick with colon cancer received a blood transfusion. And she rejected the transfused blood, which meant that she lacked a protein that almost everybody else has because they matched her blood otherwise precisely. So there's an unknown protein on her red blood cell that most people have, but that she didn't have. After her, it was called VEL-negative. And they soon discovered that Mrs. Vell was not the only one who has it. It's very, very rare, but over 200,000 people in Europe and a similar number in North America are Vell negative. About one in 2,500. Recently, the University of Vermont and France have finally found what it is that Vell was negative in, what she was missing that the rest of us have. They found a protein called SMIM1. They tested 70 people known to be VEL negative, and in every case, they found they were missing the DNA to describe the gene that tells cells how to make the protein SMIM1, which shows if you lack the SMIM1 protein on your red blood cells, your blood will be VEL negative. And if you're VEL negative, then you can only receive Vel negative blood. The blood mobile, the blood mobile, our delivery service inside us. I love getting emails from our listeners, and Lindley wrote to us from Mauritius with some questions about blood types and blood transfusions. In particular, Lindley wants to know about universal donors and universal receivers in blood transfusion. And what is Rh negative and positive? For the answers, I visited the Red Cross Blood Service in Alexandria, where all the blood donations for New South Wales are sorted and tested before being passed along to hospitals. I was given a tour of the facility, and then I spoke to Joe Puckkiss. He's the Red Blood Cell Serology Manager for the Red Cross Blood Service for New South Wales. He's had 22 years experience in the blood transfusion business, 7 years with the Australian Red Cross, and before that, 14 years in the United States. We found the quietest place in the labs that we could, but please excuse the occasional buzzing noise in the background. There's lots of machines in the Red Cross Blood Service. I think... Basically, we just need to start out and talk about the basic blood groups. So a lot of people hear about, oh, I'm blood group A pause. Well, what does that exactly mean? You know, um, what does the pause mean in it? Or, you know, what does the A mean in it? 
So there's some major blood groups that we have to identify um, for transfusion, being the ABO group and what's called the rhesus group. All right. So ABO group is really quite simple. There's actually two sets of proteins and sugars. One set is called an A, another set is called a B, and then there's a null set that doesn't have any. We call that an O. So that's your ABO. So if you are told you are A positive, that means you have group A on your red cells. Now, when you hear the positive or negative connotation, that refers to your rhesus type. And with rhesus type, it's a very complicated system, um, anywhere up to like 45 different antigens. But the major system on that RH group is called D. So we try to identify whether or not a donor is D negative or D positive. So when you hear I'm A positive, that really means you're positive for group A on your red cells and you're positive for group D on your red cells. Okay. So it's just that simple. So um, that's, that's how we decide that lingo. And the important thing about knowing all these things, of course, is for transfusions. That's right. So when you get transfused, you want to have the most compatible, compatible transfusion of, of, of types. Me being a B positive, preferably I would like to receive B positive because that's the most compatible type. But I can also receive O negative or O positive. How's that? Well, because O's don't have any antigens on their cells, right? They don't have the A or B antigen on their cells. And if it doesn't have any D antigen on cells, then it's not going to react to any of my, my antibodies that I'm producing. So I'll be producing anti-A if I'm B positive. So I can't receive any A cells because if I received any A cells, it would they'd automatically hemolyze and put me into a transfusion reaction, which could possibly cause death. Right. So it's very important to get the, the cross-matching correct. It is. And so... Having had a look around here, mm. I should ask you to run through the process from when you donate blood, something that's very important, mm. to what happens to the blood when you donate it. A lot of people really don't know the answer to that question, so I'll be happy to help. So a donor shows up at a donation centre with an appointment or without and comes in for the first time. They have to go through what's called um, a donor screening. So it's a series of questions um, that basically asks about your eligibility. So um, are you feeling well today? Um, have you traveled outside of Australia? Um, just basic questions like that. And then through the algorithm it says whether or not um, you can donate or what type of component you can donate. All right, so then that donation is packed up in a box and sent back here to Sydney for um, to be processed, right? And meaning to be processed is like, if you donate a whole blood, um, we need to break down those components of whole blood into red cells, platelets, and plasma. So once that is all completed, and we have red cell components, platelet components, and frozen plasma components, that all gets tested. Um, and it gets tested with mandatory testing. So we have a list of tests that are required to be done 
and to be cleared before our blood management system will let it be released. So we do a series of testing, um, ABO, uh, atypical antibody testing. We do um, infectious disease testing, which includes um, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HTLV, HCV. Um, that also includes what's called uh, NAT testing and syphilis testing also. Yeah, so that would that'd be about the majority of the mandatory tests for release. So if you've got unusual antibodies in the donated blood, can that provoke an immune reaction from a recipient? So if you had atypical antibodies, they would be identified and they wouldn't be used for transfusion. Right. So that's how we stop that from happening. Um, not to say that, that that donation wouldn't be used, but it wouldn't be used for transfusion. But the plasma would definitely be used to make um, fractionated components that are often used for um, patients. Right. So there are advantages to the, to the A, B, and O because of what you can receive and what you can give. RH negative and, and positive, does that make any difference to people's health generally? Or, or no. It's just random. No. And, you know, ABO or RH really doesn't change anything in your health patterns or, you know... There's all these kind of crazy little ideas out there, like um, Japanese folklore that says your type decides your characteristics and that sort of thing. And there's also these myths out there about um, what is the best diet for your blood type. And, and it's really, there's really no scientific, you know, facts behind any of it. So it's just the luck of the draw, what, what type you get, you know, it's all about genetics and you know, your parents' genes. Right, and so there's not really anything evolutionary in there being a majority of RH-positive people? Well, or? That, I mean, it is based on population, you know, based on groups and migrating groups and groups that had, have moved in together. And, and if you look at Australia, um, we have a very diverse community. Um, in Australia, the RH-positive um, group is about 83%. So we have 17% that are RH negative. That's quite high, actually, if you think about it from worldwide. Say in Europe, it's around 16%, which would make sense because we have a lot of European um, background here in Australia. Mm. But the indigenous Australians is less than 1% that it would be RH negative, right? Right. And the same with uh, you know African Americans, Native Americans. We don't have a lot of Native Americans here, but that's... Um, or even um, African descent is less than 1%, and Asian mm. is less than 1%. So, yeah, it, it really varies around the world. So, of course, one of the other things, obviously, you need to get the blood types right for mm -hmm. transfusion, but there's also uh, hemolytic disease with parents, with mothers yeah, of, the, of babies called, of different blood types. Yeah, it's called um, hemolytic disease of the newborn. And it's not. It's it's more about the the D antigen again, and it doesn't have anything really to do with A or B. A baby doesn't actually develop A or B antigens until after birth, and then you can start seeing that development. But the funny thing is, a baby will actually develop A and B antibodies. Well, baby, gut, you know, gut bugs basically. So it reacts to gut bugs and it, and it produces these antibodies. Mm. which is a self-antibody, so it's, right. it's quite, quite interesting. So the issue with hemolytic disease of the newborn 
is that usually the mother will be Rh negative, but the baby can actually develop to be Rh positive. So cells from the baby cross through the placenta and back into the mother, and the mother has these non-self um, D-positive cells going through her body, and her body's going, well, I don't know what these cells are, and it attacks the cells, and basically kills off the cells, and then makes a memory of those of that D, and says, okay, I remember this D, and I'm now producing an anti-D, because I've seen it before, and if I see it again, I'll produce anti-D. That's okay for the, the first birth, right? And it's not usually gonna cause any troubles. The problem is, is that if the mother has a teacher to anti-D and has a second baby, and if that baby is, turns out to be Rh positive also, the mother's antibodies will attack the baby's cells and then the baby gets what's called hemolytic disease in the newborn and more than likely will die. So, right. so to get around that, um, the mother is always typed, you know, early in the birth, in the, in the pregnancy, that is, to see what her type is. So if she's Rh negative, um, what they'll give her is what's called anti-D. So anti-D is um, something that we fractionate out of plasma from donors that we know that have a, a high anti-D teeter. And so what this anti-D is, is just free D antisera, and they give it intramuscularly, and it um, then goes into the blood system, and it just kind of scours around the, the mom's system for a while looking for uh, random D-positive cells from the baby. So what's, what it's doing is, is finding the D cells first and killing right. them. So the mother doesn't produce a memory to D cells. So it doesn't she doesn't produce her own anti, anti-D. So mm. It's really quite interesting. Yes. As to prevent the mom from actually making an immune response to D by giving her a little bit of anti-D anyway. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR 107.3, and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. One last thing is that blood type has been used to determine chances of fatherhood. Mm. It's one of those things I know, I don't know if it's happened in Australia, but I've read that at times in various states in the US, they would do blood tests when people got married. Mm. Um, was it for paternity proof or was it to against possible really, hemolytic disease? I was oh, trying it to may, it maybe out. more about hemolytic disease than anything, because that's been around since the beginning of time. Yes. You know, it would have been. Obviously, it would be more of an issue in European countries, European descendants, so in a lot probably a lot in the U.S. There's a lot of European descendants in the U.S. also. Mm. Whereas in maybe in Asia or India, it may not have actually been as much of a problem. Right. Because, it's, you know, you have RH negative donors that are less than 1%, and half of those are going to be women, so it's going to have 
five percent of the population that would be RH negative. Very small. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw something, and I wasn't sure if it was correct, that suggested that the Toxoplasmosis gondii parasite, the one you can get from cats, <laughs> yeah, the, that the, the people with RH positive were able to resist some of the effects on the nervous system yeah. of uh, reaction times. Yeah, so uh, when I saw this question, I was like, where is this coming from? I did this big Google search <laughs> okay. for anything. I thought, well, the question was, does it give you any advantage or disadvantage? And of course, usually, as you say, it's it's just random. Yeah. But there was this suggestion that perhaps if your reaction time was slowed, that you were resistant to having your reaction time slowed by this parasite. Yeah. So I, I did a search myself. And I found the study that you that was mm. done here, and it's it's a really odd study, and it's I wouldn't I wouldn't call it conclusive by any manner. Just suggestive. Yeah, just suggestive, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I think the study was was this. It was a Czech military base, and in that area of Europe, there's a higher percentage of toxoplasmosis. So you have a higher percentage of people who actually then have a teeter against the parasite. So I think what they were trying to do was measure the amount of car accidents that these male um, military people were having and then look to see whether or not they were RH negative or RH positive. And then from that data decide if the RH positive group had any advantage to toxoplasmosis, you know, um, yes. fighting off toxoplasmosis. And what they found was that the RH negative group had very slow reaction times. But on the other end, with the RH positive groups that were homozygous positive, they also had very slow reaction times. <laughs> what the funny thing was is that when they looked at the RH positive group that was heterozygous, they had faster reaction times. So they had less, they had um, less accidents, and their um, their teeters to the parasite were much lower than the other two groups. So they're saying, well, maybe if you're a heterozygous um, anti-D or a heterozygous D positive, maybe that's an advantage. But they never went down and did any sort of like um, genotyping or any any of that you know cellular work. It's just all you know very rough, very rough, suggestive. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's interesting, but <laughs> I was certainly not conclusive. And it's the opposite of what you might have thought. I mean, toxoplasmosis is more prevalent in Europe than almost anywhere, mm. and they have more Rh negative population than almost anywhere mm. but the slight effect that they possibly may have pointed towards if it's real is the other direction mm. yeah that's true so uh, yeah i think there's a lot of work to be done there still <laughs> <laughs> so universal donors are donors that w we tend to use for emergency transfusions so times when we don't have the patient's um, blood type and that patient truly needs blood right away. So what they'll do is they'll give them O negative donations until they can determine the actual patient's own ABO group. So that's what's called a universal donor. And that's just for the red cells. 
the plasma is on the other side from a from an O negative donation. You can't give that as a universal donation, right? Right. Because it contains anti A and anti B. Right. All right. So on so we have an O neg that's a universal donor for red cells. We also have a universal donor for AB pos in their plasma. Right. Because their plasma does not contain any anti-A or anti-B. So it can be transfused to any any group, right? Right. So it can be transfused to B group, A group, or O group. So that's the, the type of choice for an emergency transfusion again. So if you have a patient that's coming in and bleeding quite a bit and needs needs FFP because it has a lot of clotting factors in it, their type choice is AB, you know, right away. Don't know your type, we'll give you an AB pause or an AB plasma because there's no antibodies in it. It shouldn't react with your red cells. Mm. All right, one last thing. Um, when we were looking through the laboratory here, you were telling me about the separation process and mm. the products that you produce here. Can you tell me about the products the blood products that you produce here? Sure. Um, first, I guess you have to start out with the types of donations that, that we take. Um, typically, your first donation will be whole bloods. So that's blood straight out of your body into a bag, heat seal it, and then we process it. Okay. So in that unit of whole blood, um, there's a plethora of cells and clotting materials and extracellular material. Um, but it all has different densities. So when you're looking at these, these bags of whole blood, what we do is we spin them at certain speeds because we know at those speeds um, certain um, cells will come out at certain rates and s separate. So what we end up having is a layer of red cells followed by a thin layer of what's called buffy coat, which contains like platelet and other um, clotting components in there, some white cells, that sort of thing. And then at the very top of the, the bag would be our plasma um, component, which is the extracellular components, which contain a lot of um, clotting factors, like um, factor eight, factor nine, factor 11. Um, and what we wanna do is we wanna split all of those into different bags. So what we do is put it into a machine that actually kind of slightly presses against that bag and it'll push red cells at one end, plasma out the other end into separate bags and we heat seal those off and that leaves this, the center component which is called the buffy coat. All right, so now we rapidly freeze the plasma so we can save all of that fresh um, complement that's in the plasma that is really good um, clotting factors and fibrinogen that's in it and that sort of thing. Red cells we put into a refrigerator down to two to eight degrees right away um, because we don't want to create any sort of bacterial growth, that sort of thing. And then the buffy coat we pool together um, into a bag and we make what's called a pooled platelet. So it's several donations put into one to make a platelet component. And a platelet component is um, a, a clotting component that is kept at room temperature for um, up to five days. 
So it's a very short shelf life, but it's a very highly used component and one that we have to manage very well. And the hospitals um, aren't great need of those. So those are the basic components. You got your red cells, platelets, and then your plasma component. All right. Second type of donation is is called apheresis. Now, apheresis donations um, you wouldn't be doing as a first-time donor. It'd be more you'd have to donate a couple times to prove that you know that you're a healthy donor and that um, you can actually handle. The, the process of, of donating. So apheresis donations, um, they put you what's called on, they put you on an apheresis machine. So they'll stick a needle in your arm and um, with a collection line and basically they'll take whole blood out of your system, spin it down in the apheresis machine, remove the components that it's looking for, whether it be platelets or plasma, and then return the red cells. So. Now, then that component is brought back here and nothing else really needs to be done with it. It's already ready to go, just needs to be tested. And that donation process you can do about every four weeks. So, Terrific. Yeah, great. Thank you. All right, well, Joe Packers, thank you very much. Thank you, have a good day. That was Joe Packers, Red Blood Cell Serology Manager for the Red Cross Blood Service for New South Wales, speaking to me about blood types and blood transfusions. And that was Bloodmobile by They Might Be Giants. And that's all for this time on Diffusion. If you'd like to contribute to the show, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. You can send your contributions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to Diffusion at 2SCR.com. That's Diffusion at 2SCR.com. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www diffusionradio.com that's www.diffusionradio.com I produce Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney and Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network I'm Ian Wolfe join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio Looking at the URL the first thing that sticks out is the colon and how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>